Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Book Burners. Season 4, Episode 16. Three. One hour earlier. The Oracle at Delphi. As they exited the van, Grace's head snapped up. What? Sal asked. Helicopter. They're coming. We don't have a lot of time, she said. All right. Get to anointing, everyone. Sal said, bypassing the woman in white who tried to welcome them. When she tried to protest, Sal said, we're expected to ask the oracle. The woman watched as they all, quickly but respectfully, splashed the water of the sacred river over their heads and arms, and then the world changed as they entered Delphi proper. We wouldn't be allowed in if we weren't expected, right? Liam asked the woman in white, and she colored, clearly annoyed. She was different from the last woman who had welcomed them. So I wondered if that woman had the day off, or had quit after the last oracle's death. She hadn't quit. The priestess they remembered greeted them, dressed in the same garb as the oracle they had visited before. Oh, Sal said. They're coming. We don't have a lot of time, Liam said, waving behind them. Come in, the Pythia said. To her attendant, she said, go home. But the woman said, and the Pythia closed her eyes and hung her head. Then I treasured the time you served the oracle, the Pythia said. You should do as she said, Grace said to the priestess as they entered the temple. Go home. Before we begin, we will require this sacrifice, the Pythia said. Sal remembered how the Pythia had taken something valuable to her last time, and it wasn't something that she had chosen. Which she supposed was the point. She steeled herself, waiting for a childhood treasure or something connected to Perry to be taken from her. This will hurt, the Pythia said. Wait, don't we get a say in what we're giving up, Liam said, and then gasped. Sal felt it the moment he did, a searing pain on her left palm as if something sharp had stabbed through, and she saw a hole in her hand. As she watched, a jagged red hole appeared in her right palm, too, and blood began to flow from it. Most of the rest of the team made similar exclamations, and Liam looked fearfully at Manchu. The priest did not cry out at the pain, even though blood dripped from his fingers. Stigmata, he asked, for Apollo. Concern colored his tone, although he kept his voice level. 
Is there a better way to take blood for a ritual sacrifice? She asked him. I could have gotten a golden knife, but no one has brought me one of those yet. Now each of you put your hands on the floor. Blood dripped on the ground around them. They all knelt onto the marble, and Liam swore as he gingerly put his injured hands down. A red tone spread out, as if the marble were merely water that was quickly tinted with blood. The stone absorbed the blood like a sponge. The others followed his lead, and when Sal's hands touched the marble, she could feel the temple's hunger for her. She gritted her teeth as she felt it pull blood energy, really, from her. A wild panic raced through her mind as she wondered if it was going to drain her dry, but then she was released. Whatever it was that hungered had drunk its fill. Now an even sheen of red stained the interior of the temple. It touched the floors, walls, pillars, and ceiling. Grace had already healed, but the rest of them weren't so lucky. Sal fumbled with her backpack, which had been stocked according to Asante's instructions. Manchu asked, do you have enough now? I do, the Pythia said, nodding. Everyone except Grace pulled out handkerchiefs or bandages from Sal's backpack, and they took a moment to tie each other's hands to protect their wounds. That was gruesome, Liam said. That was your sacrifice. Now, what do you want to know? What do we, we're here to protect you from the damn Swedes, Liam sputtered. Sal put her hand on his arm. Is there anything we should know? She asked the Pythia. The Pythia's eyes went white, and she took a deep breath. Your business is not done in Rome. You have some decisions to make, some small, one large. They involve your former colleagues who are going to perish, unless you intercede. Upon interceding, Alexandria calls you. Back to the Vatican? It's too dangerous, Asante said, shaking her head. We can't return there. No one wants to go back to the Vatican. They'll be arrested, Grace said, for once agreeing with Asante. She felt a sinking feeling in her gut. Yes, most of the team would be arrested. But Grace would be taken back into the Vatican, considered property. Nothing more than a weapon. Okay, so we're supposed to go back to the Vatican, and then Alexandria for some reason. Thanks for that. But let's talk about right now, Liam said. Are we ready for the rampaging dandies and their evilness? Although I'm not sure how they can get here, since we had to go through the whole song and dance to do it, and we're helping you. I've been wondering that too, Sal said. How are they going to get past all your magical gates? I'm fairly sure if they're coming here to kill you, they're not going to worry about the ritual cleansing or the gift of a sacrifice. They have powerful magic. They stole much from the maitress, after all, the Pythia said. And if you're going to defile the temple and murder its oracle, then why worry about the proper etiquette to get there? They're not asking for a prophecy, Asante said. But they're idiots, Liam said. The oracle looked at him, and he actually took a step back. That will be the last time you underestimate them. Was that a threat? Liam demanded. No. Thunder cracked outside and the sky began to darken. There are, however, magics in place to announce an intruder. 
the oracle said, and then bowed her head sadly as rain began to fall. And to announce the death of my priestesses, Sal frowned. You knew she wasn't going to go home to safety, didn't you? The Pythia's eyes filled with tears. That doesn't mean I couldn't try to convince her. Why did you accept the job as Oracle when you watched the last one die so horribly? Sal asked, handing her a handkerchief from her backpack. A smile touched the Pythia's lips as she dabbed her eyes. You make it sound like I chose to apply for a job with a resume and a letter of recommendation. It was nothing like that. Her eyes got far away. They broke the first rule by landing on my mountain by helicopter and not taking a proper pilgrimage to get here. Then they killed my priestess. Next will be the defiling of the spring. It will only be purified by blood. We could help you out, but we all happen to be short right now, Liam said and Sal elbowed him. What can you tell us about the Engstroms? Menchu asked. We would appreciate anything that will help us in the coming battle. Asante got her black and silver book out of her bag and began to read it, stepping away from the rest of them. The Pythia watched her with interest and then focused back on Menchu. This will end with knives and blood, she said. Yes, we know that, Sal said. But how many of them were coming? Pavel, Ingrid, and Gala? They're toady bodyguards? They're coming, the Pythia said, sounding far away. She's no help, Sal said. We need to get ready. Let's talk about the plan. Four. One day earlier. London. This still doesn't seem like much of a plan, Sal said, leaning back in the librarian's uncomfortable chair. Liam raised his eyebrows at her. If he had been on time, then he would have heard the full details. Grace had her arms folded, but her eyes expressed her worry that Sal looked less than put together. I told you to wait for her. Yes, Sal had been late to the planning meeting, which didn't make her appear like a strong team leader. Sal had hurried in ten minutes late to grab the librarian's uncomfortable chair. She wiped her nose and stuck the tissue into her pocket. Sal nodded. Fair enough, I was late. But that doesn't change the fact that we need to find out more about these people. Here's what I got from the net, Liam said. They're fashion-obsessed, money-obsessed, status-obsessed, and magic-obsessed. He propped his laptop in front of her on the librarian's desk. The screen held paparazzi-like pictures of the vile sisters, Ingrid and Gala. They were beautiful, poised, and utterly fake-looking. Sal made a face. I don't think these women have ever been even a little bit dirty. Probably had their pores surgically closed so they wouldn't sweat. But we know all this already. We need more information than their various fetishes. Asante entered the room. She looked more like herself than she had before, which was comforting. Their fetishes tell us who they are. Their money and power make them think they can get away with anything. And people easily bought will help them believe that and achieve that. Are you sure you can't just do a shield spell? Sal asked. Protect her that way? Asante shook her head. They won't stop until she's dead. That's why we need this specific magic. 
Sal frowned. She groped for another solution. It's very risky. I don't see why we can't find another way. Asante sat down with her black and silver book and opened it. When you think of one, I'll be happy to hear it. Maybe we can ask Aaron, Liam said. He always has an opinion when it comes to impossible magic. When he chooses to express it anyway. No, Sal said flatly. We are not asking Perry anything. Liam opened his mouth to argue, but shut it when Francis wheeled into the library. Sal greeted her from the desk, and she waved back, ignoring Liam so pointedly that Sal looked at him startled. What did she do to Francis? She asked him after Francis had gotten into a conversation with Asante. Nothing, he said grimly. That's the problem, apparently. Women can't figure him out, am I right? Sal said and punched him in the arm. He glowered at her. My point is you should talk to her if you don't understand why she's mad. We do talk, he said, watching Francis and Asante confer quietly by the reference section. That's all we do. She wants more. I'm just, you know, not ready to get hurt again. Sal looked at him. Really, she said deadpan. You aren't ready to be hurt. He rubbed the back of his head. Fine, I'm not ready to hurt someone else. She's someone I really don't want to hurt. You like her so much you don't want to hurt her, and that's why you're pulling away and denying her your affection? Liam, that's so contradictory, I don't know where to start. I just want to slap you on the side of your head. She did so. He winced. Get some courage and tell her how you feel. Um, if she rejects me? Then you're no different from anyone else in the entire world. Sal said, emphasizing the last few words. We've all been rejected. If she rejects you, Grace and I will take you out to get blitzed. We will jaw about the women what done us wrong. Take a chance, man. Surely every freaking day in this city reminds you that we won't be around here forever. He rolled his eyes. I can agree with you on that. Can we get back to the plan? That's the problem, Sal said. I can't think of much more than step one, protect the Pythia. Step two, punch people who get too close to the Pythia. If they bring magic, which they will, then adapt. Well, this whole thing really isn't Asante's hands, mostly, he said. Do you think she can do what she claims? Grace said. She claims a lot of things. That's not really the problem, is it? Sal asked. Can she do them? It's usually not the question. Can she do them well? Can she do them safely? Can she do them in a way that won't make us wish she hadn't done them in the first place? And no one knows the answer to that, Liam said. Might as well be asking if she can guess the weather. She'd probably get close, but could be way off. Sal called a break to ponder alternative ideas on the problem of the oracle. They didn't need this headache in the middle of everything else, and she had other things on her mind besides, but Asante had been adamant that the Pythia needed help. What's up? Grace asked, elbowing her as she paced the gym. I was thinking of the last time we went to Delphi. That ended in blood, too, Sal said. No wonder people don't like us around. Blood and death follow us, from an outsider's point of view, anyway. Grace laughed out loud. That's like saying firefighters start fires and doctors create cancer. Sal smiled. Good point. Still, 
I'd like someone happy to see us once in a while. Grace caught her hand and pulled her close. I am happy to see you. Then she kissed her, and Sal forgot, for a moment, what was troubling her. Francis was in the kitchen, inventorying their supplies. Liam peeked through the door, then pushed it open with false bravado. So, uh, it looks like we're off to save the Oracle of Delphi, he said. What do you have, have planned for the evening? I'm really not ready to talk to you yet, she said, not looking up from where she had been counting cans. Let me know when you're back from your trip. She said trip like it was a vacation he wasn't taking her on. Come on, Francis, what did I do? Can we at least figure that out and move past it? She whirled to face him and he took a step back. Move past it. That would require us to be moving at all, Liam, and you've dropped an anchor on whatever us we have. If I get it through your head what's making me angry and I forgive you, then you will be happy with the status quo. And the status quo is what I'm pissed about. What status quo? Francis dropped her clipboard so she could clutch her head as if it were throbbing. Oh, God, you are so dense. Fine, I will spell it out. Boy likes girl, girl likes boy, they flirt. The flirting is a signal that they like each other. They spend more time together, they flirt more, they kiss, they get closer, they start a relationship. This is typical, how things usually work. But with you, we stopped with flirt. You still act like you like me, but the mere idea of doing more than that seems to give you the screaming nightmares. She subsided and looked down at her tentacles, waving gently from where they hung from her wheelchair. And if it's because of this, just tell me now and get it over with. Liam's jaw had hung open on girl likes boy, and he hadn't closed it throughout her monologue, but it hung even wider when she implied that he didn't like her tentacles. No, Francis is not like that, he sputtered, knowing dismally that the more he objected, the more he would be sounding like an idiot who clearly was turned off by her unfortunate curse. I've come to terms with my changes. I even like them. I am not ashamed of my body. Where you stand with it is your business, but keep me out of your moral quandary. She said flatly. She wheeled around and rolled out of the kitchen. But you're beautiful, he whispered. I'm just broken. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Piora is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Piora's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Piora's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I want to spar, Liam said barging into Grace's room without knocking. Grace looked up calmly from her reading chair. You're amazingly lucky you didn't interrupt anything, she said. He flushed to the roots of his ginger hair. Sorry. He mumbled, I just need to punch something. She put a bookmark in her book and stood up. No, you need to be punched. If you wanted to punch something, you'd go for the punching bag. You want punishment, and frankly, it's a little sick. What do you know about it? He asked. A good workout will release all my stress. Come on, give me five minutes. Liam, she said, putting her hand on his shoulder. Then she paused and frowned. No, I'm no good at this. You're right, my thing is punching. Talking is Sal's thing. All right, I will spar with you. Done, Liam said, but his face fell as she continued talking. If you promise to talk to Sal afterward about whatever is happening with your face. She waved a hand in front of his face to indicate his expression. Later, his jaw ached, his arms were sore, and his diaphragm still spasmed from where Grace had kicked him. But he felt much better. Tagging in, Sal said, walking past Grace and slapping her hand as Grace exited. She sat down next to him on the gym floor, leaning against the wall. Out with it. That's not just Francis, he said. That's everything. That's hugely vague, she said. Can you narrow it down? When I'm out there alone, I'm confident. I'm, you know, a warrior. And when you're with us, I'm back up. I'm a follower. You're not the hero of your own story, Sal said, nodding. I get it. But Liam, the only person who can fix that is you. If you want a starring role in your life, you step up. Stop waiting on me and Manchu to tell you what to do. Resentment flared and then subsided. He looked down. But I've made so many bad decisions. I don't trust myself. Sal made an exasperated sound. Jesus, Liam, why do you think you're the only one in the world to have ever fucked up? We all make bad decisions. We've all been hurt. We've all hurt people. We've said things we've regretted and not said things we've regretted more. And we've all wanted things so badly that we won't go for them because we've completely lost hope. She paused, and he wondered if she was thinking about Grace. She refocused on him. It's called being human, and being an adult, you should join us sometime. She stopped talking and watched him. He realized she was waiting on him to reply or maybe explode, 
He just shrugged. Okay. 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 I'm glad I could help. She got to her feet and offered him a hand. Come on, we need to regroup with the rest. You can talk to Francis before we go. After punching Liam a bit, Grace went to find Asante before the team met again. She sat down on Asante's couch and stared at her until she looked up from her black and silver book. What is it, Grace? She asked, her voice pleasant. I want to know why. Why? She trailed off, sounding like she was trying to figure Grace's mystery out. Why you will go to extreme lengths to help this woman, someone you've never met, and save her life? Well, it's what we do, Asante began, but Grace interrupted. But you won't use all your knowledge and magic to fix my problem. Asante sat straighter and closed her book. Ah, I wondered when this issue would come up. I've seen you nearly kill yourself with magic, or nearly kill one of us to solve a problem. And you've never done a damn thing to help me, Grace said, clenching her fists. Well, to be fair, you've been largely anti-magic since I met you, Asante said. Would you have been open to a solution before you had something, someone, to live in normal life for? That's not the point, Grace said. You don't listen to anyone else when they say not to use magic to solve problems. And yet I'm a monster for abiding by your request to keep magic away from you, Asante said, smiling slightly. Listen, Grace, forget it. She stood up and crossed her arms. Logically, yeah, I've wanted nothing to do with magic. And you've respected that. I guess I should appreciate it. But if magic is the power you claim it to be and you can use it, then you holding it back from me is like a parent who won't let their kid get chemotherapy for cancer because it makes the kid's tummy feel funny. Are you comparing yourself to a nauseated, terminally ill child? Asante said, baffled. And I'm your mother? Grace felt that she was losing hold of this argument. She ran a hand through her hair. Yes, it, no, I, I don't know. All I know is you don't give a damn about me or my problems, and you never have. But you expect me to support you when you want to use magic to solve every other problem in the known universe. She turned and stalked out, pretty sure she hadn't won. When she looked back, Asante still watched her with utter confusion on her face. Asante laid out the plan, showing what the team could do and what she could do, and what the temple itself could do. She went into extreme detail, except in explaining how she would manage the magic. They wouldn't understand that part anyway. It would be bloody and frightening, but everything should come out all right. Now to convince the team of that. It would work. She knew it would. Five. One hour earlier. London. Sal and Manchu would know what to do. Liam knew they would. Liam rushed into the headmaster's office where Sal and Manchu were talking. I think Asante's having a seizure, he said. They ran after him toward the library and found Asante on the couch, her eyes wide and cloudy, talking. Grace was standing at the librarian's desk, scribbling on a pad. It will end in blood and blades. My blood, their blades, Asante said. What's going on? Sal asked. She's not having a seizure, she's having a vision, 
Grace said. She handed Sal the pad she had scribbled on. I wrote everything down. That's all she says, and then she repeats it. This is like the third or fourth time she said it since Liam and I found her. The pad was full of Grace's tight handwriting. Asante, the oracle requires you. Requires the team, requires strands of white. Requires supplies of red, requires sheaves of silver. When it is finally, finally done, it will end in blood and blades. My blood, their blades. Is Santi's getting a vision from Delphi? Menchu asked. Has this ever happened before? Sal asked. Not that I know of, he said. All right, someone translate. What the hell is she saying? Liam said. Asante stopped speaking and slumped back on the sofa. Her eyes began to clear slowly. Sal went to the pitcher Asante kept on her desk and poured some water for her. The older woman looked around in confusion, reminding Sal of Dorothy waking up after her travels to Oz. Menchu stuffed pillows under her to prop her up. Asante, are you all right? Do you remember what happened? The Pythia. She needs us. We're going. What was that about blood? Liam asked. It ends in blood and knives, Asante said. It finally, finally ends, Sal said, whatever that means. That doesn't sound promising, Liam said, looking at Sal. Is it even worth going? If she knows she's gonna die, sounds like. She doesn't say death in there, and usually she's careful about that, Asante said. Careful, Liam said. It's a prophecy. It's designed to hide the truth among a lot of gibberish. I think we can do something about this, Asante said. Let's talk. We don't know who exactly will show up, but we know it'll be someone associated with the Angstroms, Sal said. Maybe even the assholes themselves. What can we expect from them, besides being total douches? They will have magical weapons, no doubt, Asante said. They started out with great wealth and shrewd bargaining skills. If they've been plundering their victims' possessions, then they will definitely be wielding things better than the stuff we've got. Her eyes flicked to Grace. Except for that one weapon they really want. Grace stiffened, and Asante continued as if she hadn't noticed. Their weapons will be spelled to find their mark wherever she is in the world. So what can we do? Doesn't sound like a magical shield will work here, Liam said. And even Grace can't get her out of the way of a homing missile. Asante licked her lips. I said the weapon can find her wherever she is in the world. I am proposing that we take her out of this world. What do you mean? Manchu asked, his voice stony. If I can briefly move her to another plane, it will break the homing spell on the weapon. She comes back safely. Never mind that, it, hell no. You are not going to cast a spell like that, Grace said. When they see that they didn't get her, they'll just try again. How many times are you going to keep throwing her into another world and hope you can get her back? Forging an illusion that she has been injured is easy, Asante said. The Pythia and Delphi itself can handle that part. They'll probably need something from us, blood, likely, to help the illusion along. We don't want to spill her blood, obviously. The tricky part is making sure the knife loses its deadly intent. It will hit its target, but it's not her blood that will be spilled. Then they think that she's dead. How exactly do you plan on doing this spell? Manchu asked. 
She gave him a sad smile. Arturo, you know that Dimitres left me many things. You're talking about the doors. I am, she said. I will make the portal, push her through, and then bring her right back. The temple manufactures the illusion that the knives strike home. Your job will be to keep them busy so they don't see the spell. They can practically taste that I'm not fully human, Grace said. How will they not notice you casting a spell? Oh, they will know that I'm there and doing magic, Asante said. You just need to make them think that I'm casting an ineffectual shield or something. Lying by telling most of the truth, Sal said thoughtfully. I see. The rest of the room went quiet, and she realized they were waiting on her to say the final word. Is it our only option? I can think of no other, knowing the power the Engstroms will be carrying. So, we will create a distraction. You keep the Pythia alive. We will make it look like she's been stabbed and then like she's died. And then they will leave, thinking they won. You make it sound so easy, Grace said. What if they attack with more than one weapon? What if they don't attack with knives at all? What if they bring that fabled grandfather Pavel is always going on about? Then we improvise, Asante said, shrugging. It's what we do best. Liam frowned. So how will we know that it's worked? If they win, it ends with her on the floor in a pool of blood. If we win, it sounds like she will still be on the floor in a pool of someone else's blood. Um, we agree on a signal, to reach up and touch my face or something, Asante said. From there, the temple will take care of its own. Too bad the temple can't protect her from the beginning, Grace said. It does, that's why they have the rituals in place. But they aren't 100% foolproof. If she's injured and left alone, then the temple will care for her. If she's dead, it can't bring her back. Yeah, I remember, Sal said, grimacing at the memory of the last oracle dying inside the temple. Wait a moment, why can't we just fake her death before they get there? Menchu asked. If you can make a believable crime scene complete with a bunch of blood, then why not just set it up that someone got there before they did? Sal shook her head and spoke before Asante could answer. These assholes will know she can make a good illusion. They'll only believe a murder that they had a direct hand in. She met Asante's eyes. Are you sure that you can transport her wherever and back safely? Yes, she will be perfectly safe, Asante said. Sal looked at the rest of the team. Neither our allies nor their egos need another high-profile kill. We should do this. Manchu entered Asante's library without knocking. I have questions, he said when he spied her behind the librarian's desk, reading the black and silver book she had received from the maitress. He wasn't going to say that he had finally figured out one of her tells, that she dropped her eyes and smiled when she was lying, or obfuscating the truth. But he had to press. What's on your mind? She said, putting a bookmark in that damned silver-etched book. I need you to be frank with me. The Pythia. Is she in danger, really, with this spell you're casting? Asante sighed. Then she relaxed slightly. This was usually the tell when she gave up a truth that she didn't want to. I figured out how to send things to the other place and how to get them back. I can do it quickly. But I've never sent anything living there. 
So, no. I can't be 100% sure that whatever is there won't hurt her. What are the possibilities? He asked, his voice even. It could be inhospitable to humans, uh, atmosphere, temperature, the like. I doubt there is anything, you know, dangerous in a hungry sort of way there. I've practiced with inanimate objects, including food, and everything returns untouched. Then she thought for a moment. What about time? What about it? I'll be sending her there for a, a second and then yanking her back. But does time flow differently there? I... I don't know, she said. I hadn't considered it. If time moves differently there, she could be there for years, decades, eons. It could make her go mad. You're playing with forces you don't understand, Manchu said. This has not worked for us in the past. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But what choice do we have? Perry approached Sal, weeping silver. She had readied herself for this. His note had said to come alone to the field behind the school that afternoon and warned that he was not feeling particularly human today. As if Aaron's possession was cyclical, like a menstrual cycle. It's Perry's time of the month when Aaron takes over and makes him bleed silver, Sal thought sardonically. A small, logical part of her mind recognized this kind of bad humor thinking as a coping mechanism to stop herself from simply freaking out when she saw him. And she held on to that. She swallowed and forced herself to look him in his quite literally shining eyes. I thought you were getting better, she said. Asante said, Asante's magic treated the symptom, not the cause. Aaron answered, his voice slow and soft. I am afraid. He left his voice hanging as if he were about to say what he was afraid of, but he didn't follow it with anything. So, you're sicker? The magic isn't working? Should we try something new? I'll get Asante. Yes, yes, no, no, he said. This body is failing to contain what I give it to keep it moving. Perry is more than just a husk for you, Sal said hoarsely, anger flaring. She wanted to strike out at something, and even though Aaron's residing within Perry was what kept him alive, he was the nearest target. He's your brother, Aaron agreed. But regardless of what you think of this body as, beloved brother, empty husk, a vessel that his soul and mine share, that doesn't change the fact that it is failing. But there's so much magic. Isn't there something we can do? I can talk to Asante. She's gotten stronger. Sal said, looking over her shoulder, as if Asante were there and waiting with a syringe full of magical goodness to heal her brother. Her magic isn't omnipotent, Aaron said. It too is failing. But it's not just the magic, Sal, he interrupted. He sounded more like Perry now. The few times he lost patience with her instead of the other way around. The world is changing into a place where I can't live like this. We can't live like this. His voice softened, and Asante is indeed growing more powerful, but she can't fight the whole world. So, so what does that mean? She asked, her throat closing up. You know what it means, he said. He turned to go. 
She grabbed him by the shoulder, momentarily shocked by how bony he had become. No, I want to hear you say it. I want to hear Perry say it. Don't come to see me just to tell me that all is lost and there's no hope. I won't hear it. I can't control how much you hope. Hope has nothing to do with an inevitable outcome. Hope all you like. But our time is limited. If you need me for anything, or need Perry, it had better be soon. He slid out from her grip as if it were nothing, the silver still streaming down his cheeks. She watched him walk away, her own tears forming. But I'll always need him, she said. She took a shaking breath and steeled herself. And I'll always hope. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, listeners. It's Mary from the Ops team here at Realm. Do you like ghost stories? How about seances? How about those tales that start out seeming fake but end up 1,000% real? Well, meet Beatrix Green. The seances Beatrix conducts are fake, but financial freedom for a single woman in Victorian England is very hard to come by. So when notorious scientist James Walker makes her a proposition, proof that ghosts are real once and for all for a hefty price, she can't resist the temptation. But when the ghosts turn out to be very real, Beatrix and James must work together or risk being the haunting's next victims. Beatrix Green brings the haunted house story back to life, complete with a dash of romance, and it's perfect for fans of Sherlock Holmes and Crimson Peak. All episodes of Beatrix Green are out now, so light a few candles and catch up on the show. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or learn more at realm.fm. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolihi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.